0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air, I'm Sarah Fenske. It's a difficult time to be in comedy, and not just because it can feel downright dangerous to sit in a room with other people and laugh out loud, all that flying spit. No, it was hard even before that, as comedian Alonzo Bowden explained a few months back in his Netflix special, Heavy Lightweight.
1: Oh, But I do, I, I love, love being a comic, but now, man, strange time to do comedy, tough time, because people are angry, I'm <clears throat> Right? People are just mad and they, they walk around looking for reasons to be mad. Right? Everybody's protesting something, right? Like, like like Colin Kaepernick and Nike, right? So Colin Kaepernick, he came out and he said specifically what he was protesting. He said, I'm protesting racial injustice in the legal system and cops killing black people. That's what he said. But what that yeah, he's right. He's right. But what people heard was I hate the troops and fuck America, right? They just decided that's what they were gonna hear so they can get mad, right? And then, like, I'm burning up my Nikes. Like, you think Nike gives a shit? You already paid for them. Nike's like, you should burn some more Nikes. You should get like 50 pair and just start a bonfire, you know?
0: And that is Alonzo Bowden on his special Heavy Lightweight. It's now available on Amazon Prime. And joining us today to discuss his comedy and his upcoming shows at the Helium Comedy Club is Alonzo Bowden. Alonzo, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Good good to be here.
0: So you started traveling again for comedy last week. Were you nervous about getting on a plane?
1: Well, not until you started talking about flying spit in the clubs and, and killing my audience. I thought I'm you sorry. were on my side. I d I don't know what happened. Well, no, I um it was it was I was more concerned about the flight than being in the club. Hmm. Um and it turned out it was fine. Everybody on my flights wore masks. There were no crazy people talking about their civil law rights. That's been my favorite thing somebody was yelling. I know my civil law rights. And I was like, you don't even know how to say it.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a guy. I'm not going to hire that guy to be my lawyer.
1: Right, right. But no, it was, um, yeah, it wasn't really uh, bad at all. I didn't know what to expect. As far as the clubs go, you know, they're social distancing. They're cutting down on the capacity of the club. And I'm on stage, so I'm naturally a safe distance. And the only big change is no meet and greets or uh, merchandise sales or anything like that after the show.
0: So I imagine trying to keep the distances between different groups of guests, it means just fewer people can come to these shows. Is it hard to get that feeling you want when you're on stage when there's some emptiness in a room where normally I'm sure a guy like you, you're selling out every seat?
1: Uh, No, it's not. Actually, it is so nice to have any live people in front of me. I mean, for the first four months of this shutdown, Everything was being done virtually or through Zoom meetings. And that is a really weird uh, weird way to do comedy. Even when I could hear them laughing, it's not the same as a live connection. I, I tell people it's a difference between playing Grand Theft Auto, the video game, and actually stealing a car and running away, which is what I much prefer to do. Yeah, it's there's, just a, more there's exciting.
0: a big difference there.
1: Yeah, a little more exciting.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the idea of like trying to, to workshop new jokes and develop new materials when you can't get a live audience. Did you have to redo a big part of your show once all of the headlines were different and, and the coronavirus just changed everything in this country?
1: Well, it's continually changing. I mean, there is no way to keep up with our news cycle. I I talk about it. The one word that we need to eliminate from the English language is the word unbelievable because Hmm. that that doesn't apply anymore. There's nothing that can happen that we consider unbelievable. So you're right. I don't get to test new material. I just go out there and do it.
0: And is that difficult? Are are you worried like, man, I have no idea if this joke is going to land?
1: Uh, For some reason, I am crazy enough that I love it. I've always my favorite joke has always been my newest joke. So I go out there and throw it out there and, you know, hopefully 27 years of experience makes it funny. Sometimes it doesn't, but either way, I'm trying it.
0: So it's great that you have that hubris. Um, and I'm sure that does come in handy because a lot of your, your comedy is based so closely on current events. And last year for this uh, Amazon Prime special that we played the clip from earlier, I want to play another clip from this because you just had a great joke. And this involves what was then very recent news. This is now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh.
1: And I, and I watched the Kavanaugh hearings. And I'll tell you this. There's such a thing as, as white privilege, Right. And I know what that is, but, but Kavanaugh, that was a whole different level. Because he, basically, he had a job interview with the United States Senate, and he started yelling at them. He was yelling at the United States Senate. I don't like these hearings, and this whole thing is a fuck. I like beer. Right? And even white people like, wow, can you do that? Can you yell at, can you yell at senators now? I didn't know. He said, I like beer at a job interview. (laughs) You can't say that at a McDonald's job interview. (laughs) You go to McDonald's, you're like, I like beer. They're like, we're not hiring.
0: And that is comedian Alonzo Bowden, who of course is my guest today. Uh, that's a great joke, but I imagine you probably have plenty of audiences where there's a lot of white people in them. Do people ever get hostile when you start uh, poking at white privilege?
1: Very rarely. Uh, once in a while, I'll get the the loud heckler. More often I get, and and this is my favorite comment compliment in comedy, when I get someone who says, I don't agree with you, but it's funny. Hmm. You know? Uh, the the white privilege thing doesn't hit as much as the political stuff. Uh, Trump supporters are angry, you know that that's a group that that is always angry. And I don't get many of them at my shows, but every now and then I'll get one of them really angry, and then. The more angry you can make them, the better you're doing.
0: I was going to say, is that fun for the rest <laughs> of the audience? I mean, as you say, that sometimes they don't have the greatest sense of humor, and you're just there poking them. Does that start to feel really uncomfortable, or is that really funny?
1: It's it's funny because I never get personal. Hmm. I mean, that's the thing with comedy. You can never make it personal toward the person. I can make fun of a topic. I can make fun of what somebody says it only gets weird if it becomes personal and you, you start insulting the person, which is something I won't do.
0: Hmm. You well, be I can't tempted. say that.
1: I've never had Kanye in the audience. If Kanye was in the audience, it might get a little weird.
0: He'd be the one? What if Donald Trump was in the <laughs> audience? I mean, come on, you'd have to make a really personal joke right there.
1: I would have to slow them down to where he could understand them. Um, I might need charts and even crayons. See what I just did? Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. That's how it works.
0: That's, uh, you're, you're giving me a master class in comedy right now, and I, I appreciate that. Um, so we told our listeners that you were coming on. A lot of them were excited. I, th- I feel like a whole bunch of them know you from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh, when you're just running about doing your thing, do you find a bunch of NPR listeners are going, hey, I, I love you on that show?
1: The Wait, Wait fans are fantastic. And the funniest thing about Wait, Wait fans is they don't know what I look like. They know how I sound. So I might be in a grocery store or somewhere out and they'll stop me to be like, you're Alonzo Bowden. I know your voice. And that that's, uh, it's, it's cool, but it's a little weird. But yeah, I'll take that. But Wait Wait fans are fantastic because they get the jokes, right? Wait, wait fans tend to be news junkies, NPR junkies. So anything you talk about, they know what I'm talking about, which I love.
0: Hmm. So you find them to be a more educated audience?
1: Yeah, they're a tough audience to crack initially. They are, listen, NPR people don't warm up to you right away. They, I was on Wait, Wait at least a year before I was in the brochure before they were like, all right, he's okay.
0: Really? They finally let you in at that point. Do you know what yeah. you did to, to finally get to enter that club?
1: I think it was just a matter of surviving. I think it was a matter of being on on a regular basis and being consistently funny. And they were like, yeah, he's all right. He's all right. it, it is. Uh, And, you know, I'm fortunate that when I first did the show, I was just telling someone this story. The first time I did Wait, Wait, I had no idea what it was. Really? I had I had never listened to it. I had no experience with it, and I think that's great because I wasn't nervous at all.
0: And and later you realized, okay, yeah, there's a devoted following for this show.
1: You know, when Carl Castle retired and Tom Hanks and President Obama sent messages, I was like, oh, so this is a thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's when you realize, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of people listening to this. That's great. Now, I know wait wait, they have been affected by this pandemic too. They're recording without an audience. The panelists are all remote. Have you done one of those remote wait wait don't tell me?
1: Yes, I've done a few. And the way we do it, we we're on a Zoom meeting so we can see and hear each other. And then we also have digital recorders so that the sound for the for the tech people, as you know, as your tech guy knows because I obviously gave him a hard time, but uh, oh, I hope so. that <laughs> way, that way the sound is a professional level, and it also gives them a backup. So they have this; they have us on Zoom, and they also have us recorded. So they're they're doing everything possible to make sure the show works and to keep the wait wait listeners happy.
0: Hmm. So does that really change though the fun of doing that show? You can't just be in a room with these really funny people riffing as the audience explodes in laughter.
1: Well, again, it, it's like the interview we're doing now, right? Normally I would be in St. Louis and I'd be in studio talking to you mm-hmm. and now we're, we're doing it uh, via remote. So it, it's it's almost as good, but no, it's never the same as being there live and, and being able to interact with each other and uh, you know that I mean, this is what we're dealing with now. I'm not going to call it the new normal because I truly believe we're going to get back to being live and being in each other's presence. Boy, but I, I want to believe you
0: on that. Yeah. And, and you've certainly been a trailblazer in being willing to go out there and, and do it live again. As you say, you feel safe because you're up on that stage. Um, but did you have any trepidation about getting ready to re-enter the world when so many people are still really hunkered down?
1: No, we comics needed to get out. We were going nuts. Believe me, as a comic, to not get on stage is so unnatural. And also, for many of us, our families were tired of us being around the house on weekends. (laughs) They were were pretty much like, you're here again? Don't you have somewhere to be? Can't you just go stand on the corner and yell jokes at people? Please. So, (laughs) no, my uh, my first live show was at a club in La Jolla. Uh, And there were only 30 people at the club, which normally seats 200. Mm -hmm. So obviously everybody was was far apart. And then I did a couple of the outdoor shows. And normally outdoor comedy does not work. But now the audience wants it as much as we want to do it. So they were sort of gathered around and paying attention. But being outdoors, you could easily stay far enough apart. I mean, they're doing comedy shows as drive-ins now where you... You get in front of a bunch of people and they're in the car. And they're, they're honking the horn and flashing lights to indicate laughter, which I haven't done one of those yet, but that's, that's where we're at now. We just want to uh, want to be funny.
0: Yeah, you're just itching to get back on stage. Well, that's that's great you're doing that. And and we're talking today to Alonzo Bowden, uh, of course, the famous comedian. He's here at the uh, Helium Comedy Club this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. A number of different shows, since they can't put as many people in the audience at the same time. And, and Alonzo, um, yeah, our listeners were curious about Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the other thing that they were curious about. Um, we had shared one of your publicity photos and it shows you on a motorcycle. And Brandon asked, as a former triumph rider i want to know the model of his bike so can you scratch that (laughs) curiosity for brandon and then then i swear i do have a question for the rest of our audience as well
1: (laughs) absolutely brandon i ride a triumph rocket 3 it is the uh, biggest production motorcycle made and i love riding because that is natural social distancing (laughs) right i'm wearing a helmet i'm wearing gloves i'm on the bike by myself so there is no more fun and therapeutic way to maintain social distance than to ride a motorcycle.
0: And it feels like this is now a big part of your brand. People just think of you as the motorcycle guy. You mentioned how NPR people recognize your voice. Do motorcycle people just come up to you and start talking about bikes?
1: Yeah, motorcycle people, we can't wait to talk to someone about bikes. It's what we love. And I have done a number of motorcycle events. Obviously this year, a couple of the rallies I was scheduled to do were canceled. The other person who uses me in motorcycles all the time is Jay Leno. So every every year I'm on Leno's Garage, his show, uh, riding something weird. This year we did a show where we had a motorcycle and the sidecar was a barbecue grill. What? And I rode around LA barbecuing hamburgers while I rode. Now I'm trying to find that bike because I could make a few extra bucks during the quarantine just your your burgers would be extraordinarily fresh but uh.
0: yeah that would make you super popular even non-motorcycle people would come to flock
1: yeah that was really that was really fun and funny so it it's very cool Jay said whenever he gets a bike thing he's gonna give me a call so we've had some fun with that
0: Well, so on a more serious note, though, and and I'm sure you're sick of talking about this, but I understand you did have a very serious motorcycle accident. And that's usually enough that people will just, they might want to hang things up. What led you to get back on it and go back out there?
1: Well, that's like asking me what led me to walk again. I mean, uh, bikes are just part of me and what I do. Now, here's the thing about the accident. Uh, It wasn't that serious. I went Mm -hmm. down and I broke my wrist. Uh, it, you know, it happens. It was, it was on a racetrack. I don't race motorcycles, but that's where we go to practice. Cause when you're on a the track, there's no speed limits and there are, you know, coaches and stuff. This is what's funny about it. And I'll always love this. I don't know who wrote the story on Wikipedia. Like, who knows who puts things on Wikipedia? Yeah. But the story's fantastic. They made me into a Ducati motorcycle racer. I was so impressed with what I did when I read it on Wikipedia. I was like, there's no way I'm changing this story. I like this.
0: The story is amazing, but is the story that's on Wikipedia true?
1: The story on what really happened versus what's on Wikipedia, I'm going to put it about 40%. (laughs) I'm Okay, going to put it and i i did 40 percent of what they wrote one of the things that's funny is they list me as a motorcycle racer and i go to races and i know motorcycle racers they're the size of jockeys you know these are tiny little people yes whenever you race something you want the rider to be small right because of the weight i am um legally two motorcycle racers is what i am so they wouldn't have me racing a bike but the story again it sounded so good, I just went with it.
0: But are you freaked out that you've got some super fan out there who writes fan fiction about you having a motorcycle accident? That might make me feel a little unnerved that someone's so into me and my hobby.
1: Not anymore. You know, we in this age of social media and, and people just, the, the internet, who knows what's out there? I mean, they say that you should Google yourself every now and then. I would say only do that if you have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read how much money I'm worth. Apparently, I have millions of dollars that I'm unaware of. I'm, I'm still looking for that. Um, yeah, I've been married. I've been engaged. Um, just all kind of things that have never happened. And I'm like, wow, I'm living quite a life. So, so you,
0: <laughs> you kind of enjoy this version of Alonzo Bowden that's out there having all these adventures that you don't have.
1: Well, uh, fortunately, there hasn't been anything really, you know, libelous or or horrible. And the other stuff, you just have to, you can't control it all. There's so much out there and people are talking so much, you know, and the slightest story starts getting amplified and, and sort of snowballs. But I've been fortunate that they've just been kind of crazy things or, like I said, something I do, but then they make it so much bigger. So I'm I'm cool with that. I, well,
0: uh, I love that you have the right attitude about that, and I love that you're going to be back on the stage this weekend. And I think this is a, a great chance for somebody who's who's dying to get back out there and laugh again. So, Alonzo uh, Bowden, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, People, it's gonna be safe. No one's gonna be laughing spit on you. Stop spreading rumors, lady. You're killing me, you're killing me.
0: I am so glad you set that record straight. Um, And We do wanna remind our audience, um, Alonzo's gonna be at the Helium Comedy Club. That's this Thursday, August 20th at 8 p.m. He'll be back Friday and Saturday at 7.30 and 10 p.m. both nights. So there are tickets, and yes, no spittle will be flying, Alonzo promises. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association.